You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We're just so thankful that each and every one of you are here and have decided to worship alongside of us. Um, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Julius, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Village Church Hamden, and will be continuing to lead us through um, the sermon today. But before we actually dive into the sermon, we're going to have the scripture reading. It'll be read by um, Tabby. So if you guys would raise for the reading of the scripture today. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, they the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child marry, marry his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Maybe see it. Thank you so much. Um, before we actually dive right into the sermon, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're so thankful just to be in this place worshiping you. Um, to be able to be in the building is something that we. Uh, definitely cannot take for granted. And I pray that as we um, continue on with the service, would we just catch a glimpse of how your generous love really does lead us to something greater. It really does help us to hold on to something, to hold on to a truth, even in the midst of everything crumbling down around us. And so I just pray, Father, that today would we continue to trust in that, or even for the first time, trust in that. To know that you are a God who is ordering our steps closer and closer to you. And so I pray with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, would they be acceptable in your sight? Would my heart overflow with the pleasing theme? Would I address everything to you, the king? Would my tongue be like the pen of, the, of a ready scribe? I pray, would you play the lead role and would I just play the back, background and would you continue just to push us forward into deeper intimacy with you, Father? Pray all this in your most glorious, most majestic name. Amen. Now, something I've noticed in my uh, many years of watching Christmas movies is how they tend to emphasize getting someone or giving someone the perfect gift rather than actually receiving said perfect gift. So giving someone that perfect gift rather than them actually receiving that perfect gift. And usually the plot goes and it tends to be very predictable where, you know, some family member or usually it's a child wants this one very specific gift and the main character has to search go to and fro in order to find the perfect gift at the last moment in order to save Christmas. 
But it also always kind of has that predictable twist when at the end, maybe they're able to get the gift or maybe they're not able to get the gift or they got the gift and the gift ended up being broken by the time they got it to the person. And the child says, all I really wanted was you. All I really wanted was you. And then we all sob, we all cry and, you know, you know, yada, 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 because that's the perfect gift always, right? The perfect gift is to be in the presence of one another. But, and I'll say this, and I'm not going to be shameful when I say it. I know we're in a room full of, you know, Christians, but I must say it. If you don't see at least one present underneath the tree for you, you feel in some type of way, right? Like, you feeling like, so y'all ain't want to think about me? Like, I know my wife has already gotten me gifts. I've seen the Amazon package come through, and so I know she already got me gifts. But if for whatever reason I come to Christmas and I don't see one gift from her, I'm thinking, so what you been doing for 364 days? You didn't know this was coming? Like, it's not even like clockwork. It's literally clockwork. It comes every single solitary year on the calendar. And so I I would feel some type of way if I don't see at least one gift because, you know, a gift helps us to understand and isn't, isn't the sole reason, but it helps us to understand it's a practical way of showing how much you love someone. That there's the motivation behind that where you are thinking of someone, you are thinking and preparing this thoughtful gift to give to them, and it's a display of how much you love them because you went through all of that effort in order to say, I want to give this gift for you, and I believe you will love it this season. It's out of the overflow of my love for you that I give this gift for you. It's a practical way of showing how much you love someone. The gift isn't the main thing. It isn't the primary thing, but it does help. And so as we are going through Matthew 2, verses 9 to 12, in today's scripture, we're going to see, you know, little baby Jesus, he's approached by these wise men who who graced Jesus with their presence and also some very valuable gifts. They grace him with his, their literal physical presence, but they also give him some gifts. And the gifts aren't the main point, but they do provide a context for what's going on. And these expensive gifts are a response to God's generous love towards these wise men. But the gifts are also a response to the generous love of God towards us as well. And so to provide some context, we're going to look through verses 1 to 8 of Matthew 2. And as the wise men are arriving in Jerusalem, they are in search of Jesus. And they have been following a star for many and many miles. And they finally come to Jerusalem where they find King Herod. And they ask King Herod this question, where is the king of the Jews in verse 2? Where is this king of the Jews in verse 2? We've been following this star. Where is this person? And so King's, King Herod's reaction really isn't that surprising. Like he says, it says he was deeply disturbed in verse 3. He was disturbed. He was concerned. He was afraid because he's the king in Jerusalem. He's the head honcho. He's the one who is in charge. He's the one who is sovereign over this land. And so if there's a new king, if there's a new king of the Jews, people no longer have any need for him. And so at this point, his authority is in question. As Larry talked about last week, he sees a revolution in his future, and he also sees that he will no longer be in power. And so, yeah, he's afraid. 
He's concerned. He's very much disturbed, but he kind of hides it. And so King Herod, he can't have that. You know, like anyone who is uh, uh, in power or has authority over an unjust, oppressive regime, they're going to do whatever it takes to ensure that the status quo, that things stay the same. They're going to ensure that they stay in power and that no one else is able to get power over them. And so that's what Herod is trying to do. He's trying to ensure that he stays in power and that there's no sense of revolution that can come up. And so he kind of devises a little plan. He asked them in verse 8, when you find this king of the Jews, yo, come and tell me. Just, just let your boy know. Let your boy know so that I can come worship him as well. And what we really see is King Herod is lying. He wants to kill Jesus. He wants to kill and sniff out any concern of revolution in order to keep the status quo. King Herod is making sure that he stays top dog. But what he doesn't realize is that his efforts are in vain. His efforts are in vain. They are futile because God's generous love for his people is a revolution that cannot be stopped. God's revolution, his, the, the generous love that he shows to his people is a revolution that cannot be stopped. And it doesn't matter how much power that King Herod has, God is going to keep it going forward. And so verses 9 to 10, it takes us to our scripture reading today. And let me read verses 9 to 10. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star they, they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. So God finally led the wise men to the newborn king. They finally led them to Jesus. They've traveled many miles following a star in order to find this king, in order to find this savior, this person who it's been proclaimed by some God that this child will be the savior of the world, that they would save the world. But we need to pause here for a second and think about this, how crazy it is that these grown men are following a star and following a star in order to find a baby, in order to find a child who was just born, who really can barely walk. And if we even want to think about it in this way, too, these men really don't need to be saved. I mean, these men are important in their own right. Back in their own countries, they are very respected. They come from countries and cultures and nations where they're the most respected. They have the comfort, power, and status. And so you're wondering, why would these men, these very important men, these men who tend to have all the answers, come and find in search of this child, this baby? Like, to me, this would be like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Dr. J, and Michael Jordan coming to my child, bowing down before his basketball prowess as soon as he is born and saying, this is the new king of the court. This is the best basketball player in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Would that be awesome? Would that fulfill all of my dreams? Yes. Yes. But we would all sit there and say to ourselves, there's something wrong with this picture, right? There's something wrong with everything going on. If anything, my child, when he gets older, should want to go out and find and look and search for these men in order to be in awe of them, in order to learn from them. Not them come and search out my child who can't even walk, can't even talk, 
who can't dribble a basketball, if anything, the basketball will be dribbling him at that point. There's something wrong with that picture. And so if anything, when we think about the baby Jesus and these wise men coming to worship him, we would say, no, you, Jesus, need to go find them in search of them because they have all of the wisdom. They have all of the power. They have all of the respect. You need to go out and find them and learn from them, not the other way around. And so when we think about these wise men as they come from respective countries and reveal for the intellect, spiritual superiority and wisdom, you know, most people would come to them for all of the answers. Most people would come to them for the truth. Most people would come to them and ask, how do I be saved? And instead, these men are in search for the ultimate answer. These men who are supposed to have all the answers are in search of the ultimate answer. They are following a star to find this child who is going to save them from themselves. And why? Because God has revealed to them the truth. God has revealed to them the Savior. God has revealed to them that the King has come into the world. That's why they're in search. That's why they're searching for this Jesus. They're willing to travel miles upon miles upon miles to find this child because they understand what's going on. That at some point, they realize that they didn't have the truth. They didn't have all the answers because when they have been revealed that this child, this Jesus is the answer, they are willing to search it out. They realize that they are in need of a savior, that these accomplished men, that these men who had all the power, who had all the respect said, we used to not believe we needed saving. And when we were revealed this truth by the generous love of this God, we had to search it out. And so it helps us to understand that even the most accomplished of people can't save themselves. Even the most accomplished of people can't save themselves. And we even look at this story to even get that much more practical. Are we not the wise men in this story? Are we not the wise men in this story? And what I mean by this is that at some point, each and every one of us believed that we didn't need a savior, that we didn't need salvation. And our salvation, in some respects, was rooted in different things. It was rooted in a career, popularity, or comfort. We hoped that our successful lives would lead to overwhelming joy. We were hoping that the things, the accomplishments that we heaped up would lead to the overwhelming joy that, let's be honest, each and every one of us is searching for, just like these wise men. I'm not sure how it happened for you or how it began, but I think many of us began to realize that the success that we were hoping for doesn't lead to the overwhelming joy. That the success that we were heaping up actually doesn't lead to overwhelming joy. And so for many of us, we had a plan. We had a plan of how to be successful, and we set out this plan. And for some of us, the plan didn't go according to how it was supposed to go. 
And so maybe we're not in the job that we wanted to be in. Maybe we're not as financially stable that we wanted to be. The life that we had planned out did not come to fruition. It didn't happen for us. And so we're searching for purpose because the purpose that we planned out never happened. Or maybe for some of us, the success that we planned out did happen. It happened exactly according to plan. All the blocks fell into place perfectly. You have the job you wanted. You have the family you wanted. You were financially stable. Life is going great. 2021 is coming up for you, and it's awesome. And yet, there's something still missing. And yet, with all of that success... There's something still missing. The overwhelming joy that you were searching for is not there. That you have everything you ever wanted and still you're still hoping to find the joy within all of that. And you're asking the question, I think both parties and everybody in between are asking the same question. Is this all that life has to offer? Is this it? Is this all that life has to offer? Whether you've done everything wrong or whether you've done everything right, I think everybody in between can be asking that question. If everything is focused on, if all of our hope is placed on how well we do in this life, is this all that life has to offer? And that's a scary question. I don't know how exactly or where you are on that spectrum for me that Fruition came in college. Going into my junior year, I was searching out everything I could. I had a plan, and I was in the first camp where I had a plan. I was going to be a star basketball player. I was going to be the most popular guy on campus. And, you know, it did not happen. It just did not happen. The playing time that I thought I would get just wasn't there. I wasn't good enough, and I felt like I was good enough, but it wasn't happening. The relationships that I had that I thought would bring me overwhelming joy just weren't bringing me overwhelming joy. And if I'm honest, I thought I would be doing better academically. I was not, to say the least. I felt like I was wasting my time and also, more importantly, wasting my parents' funds. I was searching for some sort of joy, searching for something that would Give me some sort of foundation. And in my many pursuits, God revealed to me what overwhelming joy was. I just one day started picking up a Bible and started reading. I don't know about for you. For me, when you pick up a Bible for the first time in a long time, it kind of reads like hieroglyphics. You're like, I don't even know what this means, bro. Like, I don't know what's going on. I've heard some of these stories, but I don't know. And so someone came alongside of me. God sent this person to reveal to me how generous his love truly is. This person started walking with me throughout the scriptures and started revealing to me how awesome God's love truly is. And the overwhelming joy I was searching for wasn't in my many pursuits, but it was actually in Jesus It was actually in this person who, even in the midst of everything that was crumbling all around me, the foundation could be found there that when I was falling deep into despair, I would fall into the love of Christ. And so just like these wise men who were searching out the truth, who were searching out for a Savior, who were searching out for salvation, 
they found Christ and I found Christ as well. That God's generous love revealed to them and led them straight to Jesus Christ. And that's what he does for us as well. And as we are coming to an end of 2021, I always find it helpful to reflect on the year, to reflect on how things went. How are things going? Did I accomplish my goals? Did, you know, that, that, that beginning of the year when I say I'm going to do all these things, do I, did I do it? A lot of times it's no, shameful to say, but just being honest. And so it's good to reflect and to think through how did the last year go? But for some of us, we don't want to reflect on that. We don't want to think on that because it's been a rough year. It's been a tough year. You've been going through it. You have been in the ringer. But I would still invite you to reflect and to take time to write down how has God led you to Jesus this year? Write down how has God led you to Jesus this year? How has God, even in the midst of everything crumbling down, led you to overwhelming joy. Even when I talk about overwhelming joy, it's not just a feeling, but it's a truth. It's something to hold on to. It's a foundation that even when things are going wrong, this will always be right. This will always be certainty. Even when you are confused, even when there's uncertainty, Jesus Christ, God leading you to him and that truth is always going to be certain because it's something that cannot be taken away from you. It's something that doesn't grow old. It's always new. Those mercies are new each and every morning. So take time to write down, even as we come to the end of 2021, how has God led you to overwhelming joy in Jesus? How has God led you to overwhelming joy this year? Verse 11. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so what we've seen so far is God's generous love leads us to overwhelming joy in Jesus. And then verse 11 is our response to that generous love. It's our response that it elicits something to happen within us where we respond to God's generous love. And so the wise men, upon seeing Jesus and Mary, their first response is to fall to their knees. Is to fall to their knees. And so they gave of themselves. They gave of their allegiance before they gave of the actual treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is not something that we should ignore or even brush over. It's something that's really important to the context of the story. And we see the falling of their knees in the phenomenon that was Game of Thrones. And with the phrase, bend the knee. With the phrase, bend the knee, and we heard that all throughout the show, but then also all throughout culture, where it represented someone pledging their allegiance to someone else. Sometimes they were, all, they were switching sides. They would say, bend the knee to me, and that was to represent that you were once part of one kingdom, and now you are part of a new kingdom. That your allegiance, that your loyalty now lies with the new ruler, with the new king. And that you now have a new authority over your life. Someone else sits on the throne of your life. 
And so we even see this in the Bible. We see this with Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14. It says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Verse 14, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the wise men falling to their knees represents them pledging themselves to Jesus. It was them pledging their lives to Jesus. And this is a huge moment because they come from different countries, different nations, where they serve really closely alongside of kings and rulers, where they have bended the knee to them, where they have probably fallen to their knees for them. And now what they're saying is our ultimate allegiance no longer falls with these men. Our ultimate allegiance now falls with the new king. With the king that has just come into the world, Jesus. When they say, when it says they fall to their knees, they are pledging themselves to Jesus. They are giving of their entire lives to Jesus. The generous love towards us and them helps us to understand. It elicits this type of a response. It elicits this type of a response that we are to give of our entire selves. We are to give of our entire lives. It's to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, to pledge our allegiance to God. Why? Because he has already shown us so much love that he has already shown us and been generous to us to reveal to us that Jesus Christ has come into the world to die on the cross for our sins. That he pays a price for us. And so this is why the wise men fall to their knees. I mean, they understood the gravity, the magnitude of the situation that they were in the presence of Jesus. They weren't in the presence of just some random child. They were in the presence of the Savior of the world. And they understood that this was the only child. This is the only person. This was... The only thing that could save them. And so out of response to that, they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It represents their motivation behind them falling to their knees that, yes, each gift was valuable. Each of those gifts had monetary value. I'm talking paper on top of paper, bills on top of bills. These people could have been rich if they sold this. But the gifts aren't the main point. That's not the treasure. The treasure is actually their motivation. The treasure is their motivation. The gifts are just a practical way of expressing, of representing that motivation. And they have traveled miles upon miles, many miles, just to see this Jesus. They just come to worship him in order so that they could say, you are now our king and we want to give of ourselves to you. And so when they bestowed these gifts in verse 11, they are showing how much they love Jesus. These aren't just random gifts. These are thoughtful gifts. These are gifts underneath the tree of saying, we have thoughtfully thought about giving these things to you because we love you so much. And so they were so convinced of the truth that they are willing to do anything just to be near that truth, just to be near Jesus. And so the question is, are we, willing to, are we willing to give up everything to be with Jesus? Are we willing to give up everything to be with Jesus? 
The wise men gave up a lot just to be in Jesus' presence and not just gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but they gave up their entire lives. They put a pause on their careers, on their jobs, on potential opportunities to advance. They gave up their comfortable lives just to be in the presence of this child. They gave up a lot. And are we willing to follow their example? It's as Dr. Tony Evans says, How much are we willing to be inconvenienced to worship the king of kings? How much are we willing to be inconvenienced to worship the king of kings? And just to be clear, this isn't to shame anyone, but this is about our relationship with God, that each and every one of us have things or just that one thing that prevent us from trusting in God. Or even that one thing that prevents us, prevents us from trusting in God for the first time. We all have those things that hold us back from diving deeper into intimacy with God. And so I just invite us just to really think over, are we willing to be uncomfortable? Are we really willing to be inconvenienced in order to grow in our relationship with God, to dive deeper into his generous love and to understand that that generous love truly does lead to overwhelming joy. And our response should be just to give of everything in order to be next to that joy, to be next to Jesus, to fall to our knees, to bend the knee in order to say, we want to give of our lives to you. So what is that one thing for you? What is that one thing for you that maybe prevents you or is a roadblock to trusting, to truly being in the presence of the Lord? And one thing I will say is many times we don't like to hear that as Christians that we are called to be uncomfortable. This is a life of inconvenience. This is a life of struggle for many of us, even if, as we talked about earlier, even if you have accomplished all that you accomplish, it's still a tough road. We are fighting each and every day. We are struggling and clawing to be more like Christ. I mean, and even think about it. The author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, was inconvenienced as well. The reason why it's an inconvenient or uncomfortable life for us is because Christ had a really uncomfortable life. That when he was here, my man was broke. That when he was here, he uh, literally didn't have a roof over his head for the better part of three years. That was he, when he was here, he was led through an unjust trial and died for our sins, for wrongdoings that he did not commit. If that's not inconvenience, I don't know what inconvenience is. If that's not being uncomfortable, I don't know what uncomfortable is. But Jesus was uncomfortable, joyfully so. Because he knew that his inconvenience would lead to our salvation. He knew that his sacrifice would lead to our ultimate freedom. And again, God's generous love displayed in Jesus leads to our overwhelming joy. Something that we hold on to, even despite the inconvenience and the uncomfortable things that we are going through in life. And this Christmas season shouldn't just be about us trusting and, you know, holding on to that, but it's also sharing that generous love with others. That's not just about us holding on to it, but it's 
sharing with everybody that the king has come into the world, not only to repair our relationship with God, which is important, but also to repair our relationship with one another. I think a lot of times when, you know, we talk about, the, talk about the gospel in the Christian faith, we focus and emphasize on how God reconciles us to, uh, how Jesus reconciles us to God. And that's important. That's vital. It's a vital component of the equation. But there's also another aspect as well. And this is one of the reasons I love our church is our vision statement, which is being reconciled to God and also being reconciled to one another. That yes, we are being reconciled to God, but also there's a reconciliation with one another as well. That even as the relationship between us and God was fractured, there is a relationship between our fellow human beings that was also fractured as well. That the relationship was in some respects severed, and so there needs to be repair that is being done. And Jesus Christ does both. He reconciles us with God, but he also reconciles us with one another. And he helps us to understand that as Christians, as human beings, we are called to share the generous love with others, helping people to know that God leads us to overwhelming joy. God leads each and every single solitary person to to overwhelming joy in Jesus Christ. And so the question becomes, How can you give someone Jesus this season? How can you give someone Jesus this season? I mean, even if they are unlovable, love them. Even if it seems like, you know, you don't have anything to offer, trust me, you do. You have your presence. That is something to offer. I know even going into the Christmas season, this is supposed to be a joyous occasion, right, where We're singing joyful songs and uh, all of our family is coming together. We're giving gifts to one another. But for many, many are limping into this Christmas season. Many are barely making it this Christmas season. Some people have just lost, lost a job. Some people, this is the first Christmas without a loved one. Some people, this is the first Christmas after experiencing a very traumatic event. And so for many of us, Christmas is joyous, but for also many of us, Christmas is a struggle. Christmas is something that we're looking at and we're saying, I'm not as happy to see you this year as in past years. And for some people, it's like a a boxing match or a round in a box where you are fighting with life and you're struggling and then the the bell rings and you go to the corner and they're supposed to be there, supposed to be a coach, a cut man, someone to replenish you with water. And there's no one in the corner. There's no coach there to tell you to, to, to jab and make sure you block. There's no one there to heal you of your wounds or to replenish you with water, to help you to get back out there and to continue to trust They are alone during a time when they should be surrounded by loved ones. They should be surrounded by people. And so the invitation is to be in someone's corner this season. Be in someone's corner this season. I don't know necessarily how that plays out for you, but think of just one person. You can give a call or Zoom or whatever we're doing nowadays and just see how they're doing a mental health check. 
Maybe there are people that you know that are struggling financially. Think of ways to help them out. Give to the Lottie Moon Foundation or provide care packages for those who are homeless, for those who are in need. There are different ways that we can be in someone's corner this season. And for many people who are alone, that's what they need. They just need someone just to let them know, just to tell them to keep on holding on. For those who are Christians, they need someone to keep on telling them that the generous love of God and the overwhelming joy that we feel in Christ is real, even in the midst of everything crumbling down. And for those who are Christians, they just need someone to let them know that someone loves them. That someone else is thinking of them, that someone else has thoughtfully planned out how to love that person. That's a powerful witness. And this season is ultimately about being a witness and helping people to understand that the king has come into the world to save human beings from themselves. And so I just invite you to be in someone's corner this year. To continue to trust that the gospel is working miracles each and every day. That each and every one of us sitting in in these pews are a walking miracle. And that because God, through his generous love, has led us to Jesus Christ, we get to be a part of that mission. We get to be a part of someone's journey. As God led the wise men to Jesus, we get to be a part of that journey of leading people to trust in Jesus Christ. So the invitation this year is to really be in someone's corner and to trust that as you being present in their lives helps them to understand that they are loved, helps them to understand that someone cares about them, helps them to understand that they matter. And that's all we, that's all any of us really want is to matter. So as we close um, this sermon, I'll invite back up the worship team. Um, Usually before um, I uh, prepare for um, sermons and preaching, I have a a game time playlist. And one of the songs that kind of came up was from Fred Hammond. Um, And it's a song called Order My Steps. And I've just been reflecting on how the wise men's steps were ordered by God's generous love. That even in the midst of them probably wondering if this was real, even in the midst of them maybe feeling uncertain or confused, that God was literally ordering them their steps to trust and to find and in search of the answer that is Jesus Christ. And for many of us here, I want to encourage you. Your steps are being ordered. Your steps are being confirmed because the Holy Spirit dwells within you and is helping you to trust in the gospel, is helping you to trust that even when everything seems hopeless, there is hope. Because overwhelming joy isn't just a fleeting feeling, it's something that is real, it's something that you can hold on to, it's something that's tangible. And when the wise men came and saw Mary and saw Jesus, they saw the tangible salvation that came through Christ. And so for us, even today, there is a tangible salvation in Christ. 
That as you walk, that as you struggle, that as you go through the turmoil and the tumult of life, your steps are being ordered because God is there in the trenches. And he's leading you to deeper appreciation with him, deeper love, deeper joy. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful just to be in your presence, just to worship you today as the wise men did. And I just pray that we would give of ourselves, but also be willing to give of ourselves to our fellow human beings. To know that your generous love doesn't just extend to an individual, but to a community as well. As you transform one life, you can transform a community. I pray that this season would be about giving the perfect gift in Jesus Christ rather than just getting and receiving that perfect gift. So, Father, I just thank you for your love and how generous it is and how it leads us into deeper, overwhelming joy in your Son. I pray this in your most glorious name. Amen. Um, As we prepare for communion, um, this is an opportunity just to sit and reflect on God's generous love. And so as we come down the two middle aisles, this is just an opportunity for you to reflect and to really think through what this season really means to you. Um, And make sure you hold on to the uh, elements. We'll take those together. And just to say this, Uh, This week, these are not gluten-free. These are gluten elements. For those who are gluten-free, we are sorry. The company that we usually order with back-ordered this stuff, so we had a little snafu. But I just want to say, come through, and we will take the elements together.